Our passage this morning is 1 Corinthians 7, verses 17 through 40. That's page 955, if you're going to use the Bible there in your seats. We continue our series on 1 Corinthians, Boasting in Christ. Paul has been addressing some issues and concerns about the church, some misperceptions about the gospel. As he continues to unpack these perceptions, he speaks to various situations, to that of the circumcised and the uncircumcised, to the free and to the slave, to the engaged, to the married, and to the single. Let's hear Paul's words as the Spirit speaks through him and through those words to us this morning. 1 Corinthians 7, 17 through 40. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision nor counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who is, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. 
A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whomever she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, we come to your word, which is timeless and eternal. And yet, as you speak into this particular situation, we pray, Lord, that we would understand, that we would listen first with humility, without placing ourselves in the same place as the Corinthians, and yet trusting that what you say is good and right for us as well. Would your spirit give us understanding? Would you give us hearts willing to respond with love and obedience and faith? Would you work faith and trust in all those gathered here, whether strengthening what already exists or working new, a trust in you, the living God. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Last night as I was driving down the road, I saw a yard full of cars. Uh, too many cars, and I'm sure the neighbors weren't loving it, but it is a time to offer grace because it's graduation season because there was a party to be had. And people are, are preparing for high school graduations, college graduations have already been happening this weekend and last weekend, and still some are yet to come. And in the midst of this busy season, this season of celebration, lots of young men and women are being asked, what's next? What are you going to do next? Sometimes as they're graduating from high school, the question is, what college are you going to? when you're not sure that you're going to go to college, or at least not yet. Or you are going to college, and they ask you what your major is, and when you tell them, they might say something like, well, have you considered this instead? Or, are you sure you can get a good job with that major? Or maybe you're at a high school graduation uh, celebrating a senior friend, and you're a sophomore, and someone comes to you, well, what about you? What are your plans when you graduate? And you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't know what I'm going to decide, and should I already know that? Should I already know what I'm going to do? The questions aren't just about a major or a school or a job after school. But often behind those questions is the question of, who am I going to be? And if I make this choice, and if I make the wrong choice, and am I going to be stuck in it? And if you're seeking to follow Christ, to serve God, asking, is this how I'm supposed to serve God? Who am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to do? That question is at the heart of what Paul seeks to address in this section of chapter 7. Last week, as we looked at the first section of chapter 7, Paul was addressing a belief among at least some of the Corinthians that it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. This belief, wherever it came from, was causing problems among the Corinthians. It was leading some who were not married to decide that they should never be married, and for those who were married to refrain from sexual intimacy and even to go so far as to think that they should leave marriage altogether. And so last week we looked at Paul's instructions and correction and teaching 
as to what God desired for them with regard to marriage. That marriage was good. That while Paul favored the gift of celibacy, he knew that marriage was good and sex was good for those that were married. He addressed the root of the issue, this teaching that was wrong and an error and a misperception about what it was to be fully human as those redeemed by God. But while he addressed the root issue, there is still fruit. There's the fruit of anxiety. Suddenly, as this group and this teaching has come to some prominence within the Corinthian church, some have felt pressured to leave their marriages. Some who are betrothed feel the pressure not to get married, but to deny their betrothal. Others are asking, what should I be? What should I do in the midst of those questions? Can I please God in my marriage? Can I please God by not being married? Can I please God as a slave? As one who is circumcised, as one who is not circumcised. Paul seeks to lovingly and pastorally address the concerns and the anxieties that have been raised by this theological misperception. And so his general advice, his godly rule of thumb, is, as verse 17 tells us, to remain. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him which God has called him. Now, first of all, Paul does not say this is a command from the Lord. It's a guideline. And it's not because Paul is just a proponent of the status quo, because he doesn't like change. But because, as he says in verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. I want you to be free from anxiousness. Paul isn't saying you can't change majors, you can't change jobs. He's not saying you can't change marital status. He confirms the unmarried can marry, and it is good. Rather, he is pushing against the pressure from without, the cultural assumptions, the social pressures from friend groups and those who feel influential, who are wanting to know of you, what are you going to do? Who are you going to be? Are you going to be the best that you can be for God? He is pushing against this pressure to shape our perception of our standing with God. The teaching about sex wasn't just a doctrine, but it brought all kinds of anxiety on those who were engaged, on those who were married. Sense of being less than. A perception that they were sinful because they wanted to be married. Paul remains, reminds those in Corinth, those who have claimed in arrogance, in the midst of division, and in the midst of boasting, that he too has the Spirit of God. That what God wants for them is not to seek a new status in which they can aspire to pleasing God, but to find comfort in the presence of God in whatever status or calling or relationship they find themselves in. Rather than being anxious to be something that you are not, to seek to serve the Lord where you are. This morning, as we wrestle with our own relationships, our own state in life, our own health. We're called not to be anxious, to be something we're not. Because God is with us. We're going to unpack that more because, first of all, we see that we cannot improve our standing with God through such a change. 
that going from one status, from one societal class, from one form of relationship to another, does not change our standing with God. Paul has been primarily addressing marital relationships in the first 16 verses. But now he takes an interlude in verses 17 to 24 to examine this call for peace and a lack of anxiety about one's standing by looking at the lens of some other relationships. He talks about the markings of being a Jew versus a Gentile and about the Roman classes of freedmen versus slave. These were not the main issues for the Corinthians. The main issue is this question of marital status and sexual intimacy, but the questions of one's Jew versus Gentile status or one being a slave or a freed person gave a lens for understanding when we ask, will this condition, will this relationship, will this calling improve my standing with God to see no? The circumcision issue is less of an issue for the Corinthians probably than it is for other people whom, whom Paul has ministered to. There's not the big tension and issue the way there was for the Galatians. But it is a helpful illustration of the principle that he wants them to understand. The desire for them to reject social conformity as a projection of what being faithful looks at. For, for some Jews in Roman society, they were different. They had a different set of rules. They had a different set of standards, a different religion, and that could impact their standing within society. And so some Jews, and to be a Jewish, to be a man in Roman society meant that there were places and occasions in which you were expected to be nude, in the bathhouses and the gymnasia. Some Jewish men felt the, the pressure to conform so strongly that there were actually surges, surgeries and procedures that they would undergo so that when they were nude before others, they didn't look circumcised. Paul said, you feel that social pressure to change? Don't. To, to the uncircumcised, you who are coming to Christianity and you consider the Jewish background and, and how the Jews were circumcised, do you have some need to be circumcised to show that you are truly after God's heart? Paul's response is clear. Neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. The same is true for slavery. Paul is not speaking to whether or not slavery honors God, but he's speaking to the anxiety a slave might have as to whether they can please God as a slave. If God has saved me, if Jesus came to die for my sins, and I am called to love him and serve him and obey him, can I do any good as a slave? Can God be pleased with the service of a slave? Paul says they are not to have anxiety about their status as a slave, but to consider who they are in Christ. Because while they might be a slave per the eyes and the standards and the situations of man, they are free in Christ. And to the freedman who thinks they have all of the liberty in the world, in the Roman society, Paul reminds them that if they are in Christ, they are bound not to the exercise of their personal liberty, but to the exercise of obedience to Christ, as bondservants to Christ. For both of them, the call is to serve God, not men, because it is the call of God that matters. 
the word calling shows up in various forms in this passage, and it reminds us where Paul opens the, lo- the letter to the Corinthians. The first chapter alone has multiple citations of this idea of calling. In verse 20, he reminds them of the condition in which they are called. In verse 26, he says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Paul is already reminding them, God didn't need your status. He didn't need your influence. He didn't need your relationships as a determiner of your call. He called you in the midst of those situations to save you from your sins. As he reflects on that in verse 30 of chapter 1, of, he says this, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, because it's not your status. It's not your eloquence. It's not your number of followers that matters. It's what Christ has done for you. Verse 9 of chapter 1 says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. As he opens the very letter itself in verse 2, he writes to the Corinthians called to be saints. The call on their life is not to achievement of status, achievement of class, achievement of finances, of honor in the eyes of men. Their only call in their life is to fellowship with God in Christ. And to reflect that by conforming their lives to God in obedience. Paul says, you need to only concern yourself with obedience. If God has not commanded you to change your status, to be circumcised or uncircumcised, if he has not commanded you to be a slave or a freedman, if he has not commanded you to be married or unmarried, then you are free because no change in status can change what God has done for you in Christ. Nothing that you can add to your life through a change in status or relationship, through a new calling, can add to your status in Christ. Paul says you've been called by God. You've been saved by Christ. You've been able to walk as his holy people. Your call is to walk within that calling. God is with you. And you cannot make him more with you by your circumcision. You can't make him more with you by being a freedman, by remaining celibate, by getting married, by getting that dream job. God is with you. Notice how he ends this section. He says to them, So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. God is already there in the midst of their singleness, in the midst of their marriage, in the midst of their uncertainty, in the midst of their achievement. God is with them in Christ. Sometimes there are changes. Sometimes there are decisions that we are called to make in life. Sometimes we will go through transitions. But wherever we are, whatever we move to, we are to remain with God. Instead of asking, what must I do? What must I be in order to please God? What must I become? To succeed with God, we need to consider what Christ has done and ask, is there anything that I can add to Christ that will improve my standing with God? He has already called us out of darkness into light. He has already called us out of sin into holy standing with God, out of death into life. 
there is nothing we can do to improve our standing with God because our boast is not in our condition. Our boast is not in our relationships. Our boast is not in our social standing. Our boast is in Christ crucified. For slaves and free, for circumcised and uncircumcised, celibate, married, rich, and poor, whatever your condition, if you are in Christ, you are with God. God is with you. You only need to remain walking with God. So instead of being anxious about what we can change in order to improve our relationship with God, we are able to receive what God has done for us in Christ and remain in that situation, knowing God is with us. We're also not supposed to be anxious about becoming something that we aren't in order to please God because some things we cannot change. Some things are outside of our power to change. We've mentioned some things like jobs or school decisions as illustrations of similar choices. But despite our technology, despite our wealth and freedom, there are still so many things we cannot change. Our health, our family of origin, our race, and so many other things that we have experienced. God has not asked us to change those things. Paul reminds the Corinthians of this, that they should not be anxious about things that they cannot change. Paul would likely agree with the sense of the opening lines of the serenity prayer that have been popularized by AA. It starts, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. And Paul would say the things we need to change are matters of obedience to God, and the things that we cannot change, we are to give to God. Look at verse 21 with me as Paul addresses those who are slaves in their society. He says, Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. Now, the circumcised and the uncircumcised, they had the ability to change that, at least in appearance form. But he says to the person who is a slave not to be concerned because they cannot change it. It goes on to say, if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity, yes. But the, here's the thing that we need to understand about slavery in the Roman world, that the slave had no say over their condition as a slave. Only a master could free a slave. Even those who sold themselves into slavery over financial debt couldn't say, well, my debt was $10,000, I've managed to save up $10,000, Hey, master, here's $10,000. I'm buying my freedom. It didn't work that way. Once they're in slavery, for whatever reason of that slavery, it is only on the master's choice that they could be freed. Similarly, on the other side of things, if the master chose to free you, you were freed whether you wanted it or not. And believe it or not, in certain situations, because the slaves could accumulate wealth in ways in that society that what we think of with what happened to America, they couldn't. It was sometimes better to remain a slave because not only could they get wealth, but because they were a slave, their master was supposed to provide for them. And so Paul says, if you're a slave, you're not in charge. Instead of being concerned about whether this thing that you cannot change diminishes your value and standing before God, Walk in consideration that you are free in Christ. 
This isn't just true for slavery, to whom Paul wrote. This issue is also partly at work within the issue of marriage and celibacy, which is the main thing that Paul is addressing. Back in verse 7 that we looked at last week, he mentioned celibacy as a gift when talking about the decision to marry or remain betrothed. And he comes back to this issue in verses 25 and what follows. And as he's addressing this issue of remaining uh, single or if you're engaged to get married or not, he says this in verse 35. He says, I offer this counsel to you not to lay a restraint upon you. And the literal language there is not to put a noose around your neck. He is saying, I am not seeking to bind a particular decision. No, what he wants for them is to experience freedom to make the choice. And then in verse 36, he says, if anyone thinks he is not behaving properly, and when he says that, this is not a euphemism for saying, hey, you're coming on a little too hot and heavy with your betrothed. It's not talking about sexual indecency. It's talking about their sense that because those in Corinth have said it's not good to have sexual relations, that they feel because they want to be married that there is something improper about them. He says, if you're worried that there's something improper about you, and yet you are called to be married, you desire to be married to your spouse, she is willing to be married to you, then get married. It's not, despite what they say, a sin. It's good. Now, now, why do I draw attention to this to speak about the point that there are some things you cannot change? Because look at how he contrasts this with celibacy. So we're looking at verse 37. He says, let him do as he wishes, let him marry. It is no sin, verse 36. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. Note there's four conditions there. Paul speaks of celibacy as a gift, but, but he makes it clear this is not a gift that most people have. And if you want to sense that you have celibacy, then you should remain celibate. Here are the four things you need to be established and affirmed in your heart, to have no compulsion from other people, to have self-control, and to be determined in your heart. It is a high wall. It is indicative that it is a gift from God to be celibate. And if that isn't your gift, you should feel no constraint to remain unmarried. We can't improve our standing with God by our status if our status with God is defined by our call in Christ. And in that we find comfort that God doesn't expect us to change in our strength what we can't in order to please him. We can't change our callings. We can't change our gifting. We can merely ask the Lord to help us obey in whatever situation he has placed us. Here, the theme is often self-control whether you're celibate, whether married, to exercise self-control within that context. There are good things in our life that we want, even good things in our life that we feel that we are called to, and we still can't make them happen. There are men and women who feel like they are meant to be married and yet have not been able to make someone marry them. We can seek it, but we don't have to worry that we're less than because we haven't been able to attain it. 
I feel called to be married, but I haven't found the person. Does that mean I'm not fulfilling God's call in my life? The response of Scripture is not to be anxious about that, but that God is with you. And even if you were to seek that situation, to walk with God in obedience until that time. We can consider this also in light of Mother's Day. Mother's Day is not a church holiday, but of course it looms large because it always happens on a Sunday. And for mothers, there are some who want to be mothers and can't. Or at least not yet. Others that are and are struggling with the constraints and the sacrifices that that puts on their lives when there are, are other things that they feel that they should be doing or want to be doing. Or there are mothers who have raised their children and they're grown and gone and they can't go back. God's word to them would be, God is with you. That your hope is not in becoming a mother or returning to being a mother. Your status is not in that achievement of that title. The goodness of God for you is himself with you in whatever status, relationship, or calling you are in. So we are invited to bring our desires, to bring our fears, to bring our struggles, knowing it is not our status that is our standing with God, but the love of God demonstrated in Christ for us. We're not to be anxious about changing our status because we can't improve our status with God through such a change because there are some things that we cannot change and because you won't always be this way. As Paul seeks to ease the existential angst about status and condition and relationship, he reminds them of what time it is in the story. There's a couple references of timing in the story. In verse 26, as he's giving this advice, if you can at all remain single, do so because of this present distress. In verse 28, he doesn't condemn those who get married, but he asks them in 29 to consider the fact that time is getting short, and that to be married will bring worldly troubles in this shortened time period. And lastly, in verse 31, he speaks about the fact that the world in this present form is passing away. This is all what we would call eschatological language. It's all talking about the end times, the last days. Paul isn't just saying the last days are out there, but the last days for those who read Scripture are the days in which God has appeared to bring about the culmination, the fixing of all things. And we know that the last days have broken in because Jesus came. He died and rose again from the dead to usher in the last days to define those that would enjoy the kingdom in him and those who would be in judgment without him. Time is short because not only are they waiting for the last days that Jesus has ushered in, but then they will be in contradistinction to the world, that their lives will begin to be defined by those who are in the kingdom and those who are not. And Jesus and other prophets spoke about the fact that if you are with Christ, that that will bring often persecution and difficulty for you. Paul is saying you are not to live for this life, but you are to live in light of what Christ has done and is coming to finalize. Embracing Christ brings us into distress and opposition to those who oppose God, and we will live in tension with responsibilities to live in this world the call to sweep our shop, the calls to pay our taxes, the need to change diapers, 
even as this world is fading away. This is what Paul is getting at in the second half of verses 29 through 31. This, this seems weird. He says, he says, if you're married, act like you're not married. He says, if you're sad, act like you're not. If you're happy, act like you're not. Paul is using strong, what we would call hyperbolic language to make a point. He obviously does not mean, if you're married, don't act like you're married. He was very clear last week. If you are married, you owe it to act like you're married to your spouse. But the point he's saying is, whatever your relationship to the world, as celibate, as married, as slave, or free, is to live in light of the preeminent relationship, which is Christ. That all of these relationships are secondary to the return of the king who is coming to make all things new. Remaining in our condition and in our call for a time is not the totality of what we will be because Christ has come to usher in the fulfillment of his promises, the restoration of all things, the defeat of evil. And so the condition in which you are in that you might not enjoy, that you might wish was different, that has such a demand on your life will one day no longer define you. And so to remain in our condition is to not be consumed by it or to idolize it. If we're married, it's not to make an idol of our family. If we're single, to not make the most of our singleness by traveling the world. If we're retired, not by doing everything we couldn't do when we were working. Instead, to ask, how is the God who called me, who saved me, who loved me, who sustains me, asking me to follow him, obey him, and trust him, knowing that one day he's coming again. For those who wish to be married and aren't, to know that there's one day coming when there will be no more marriage. For those who work in a manner that there is toil, that there's one day in which we will work without sweat and blood and thorns. That one day there will be no slave or free that are disfigured or ill bodies will be made whole. One day, whatever status we have now, whether it's considered less than, whether it makes us anxious, will pass away. Every relationship, every status, every class that we are tempted to idolize will be defeated. Everything that we were lacking will be filled up in Christ. What I have accomplished with our lives, what I will accomplish is replaced with what I am looking to in Christ's victory. We need to ask, am I remembering that the grace of God has given to me to be saved from my sins, to be forgiven and free, and that one day we will be whole, one day we will be holy, one day we will be perfect, one day we will live in the new heavens and the new earth. And so every setback and every failure, every accomplishment and every victory pales in light of the eternal life that will be ours when we will experience the totality of what it means to be with God. Lastly, Paul says, don't be anxious about changing your status, trying to be what you aren't, because each condition has its cares. As we are called to be content in Christ rather than anxious about our condition, Paul addresses one more source of anxiety, comparison. Often we look at what others have 
the calling of different people in our lives and think, if that is what God has for them, is that what I'm supposed to do? What I'm supposed to have? And we'll come back to this issue a little bit more when we come to chapter 12 of this letter. But Paul wants us not to be anxious through such comparison. Look at verses 32 through 35 with me. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. I do not want you to live in a state of anxiety. This is Paul's pastoral concern that we can remain content in Christ, whatever our status, whatever our relationship, whatever our condition. And then he goes on to describe these anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. The married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. The married or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. Notice that as Paul urges them not to be anxious, he is describing the concerns and anxieties that each situation has. As there are men and women saying, will God be happy with me if I stay celibate? Will God be happy with me if I get married? Paul says, don't be anxious about your condition. Your condition will have enough cares of its own. It's kind of a, an application or a parallel to what Jesus says in Matthew 6. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. I don't want you to be anxious about whether or not to marry or be celibate, because both have their own concerns. The unmarried is going to be concerned with how their life is to be used in full service to God. He talks about the, the betrothed as how to serve in body and spirit. And the unmarried, how to care for their spouse and to please God. Each one has his concerns. Each one has her burdens. Neither is free from worry. So do not be anxious about which condition you will end. Rather, he wants them to be undistracted from their call, whatever their situation, to be pleasing to God. Now, yes, there are differences. Paul says it's better to be free from marriage, not in a manner of merit, not in pleasing God, but because it's easier. It's more singular in its focus. He even says they'll be happier because their attention is not divided. Each has cares enough. And yes, marriage brings additional cares and additional burdens. But he says, don't be distracted about the calls or the differences in what you care about, but give yourself fully in that condition to the Lord. Some calls are easier, and some are harder. We often think about some of the conditions that we choose, some of the situations that we choose, but think of how many situations we haven't chosen and to acknowledge that some people carry burdens from experiences, from their bodies, from the places that they live that others don't. Our callings are never equivalent in their burdens and in their struggles. What we're not supposed to do is compare, but give ourselves to the Lord in whatever situation where we have the cares that we need to bring before God. At the very end of Jesus' earthly ministry, he meets some of the disciples as they've been fishing on the beach, and this is where he restores Peter, right? Peter has betrayed him, and he's denied him three times, and Jesus lovingly restores him. Then, But at the end of that conversation, he speaks about the fact that Peter is likely to suffer a difficult end to his life. And so what does Peter do? John walks up and he says, well, what about him? 
And Jesus says to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is it to you? You follow me. Your concerns are not the concerns of his calling. Your concerns are not the cares of that calling. Your concerns are whatever God's call upon your life to bring those cares and concerns fully to him. In front of our house, there is a little bed of flowers, and there are some beautiful tulips in that bed. But those tulips are not in a well-cared-for bed. There are all kinds of weeds. There are all kinds of other plants competing for them. Sometimes I, I feel bad for our tulips. I wish they could be in some of those pretty gardens, those well-tended gardens, those nicely mulched gardens. But despite the fact that they're in our yard instead of another yard, it does not diminish the fact that they are beautiful, that they are growing, and they reflect the beauty and majesty of the Creator who made them. Brothers and sisters, slave or free, married or not, circumcised or uncircumcised, rich or poor, our call is to be in Christ. And if you are in Christ, then whatever your call, whatever your job, whatever your standing in Christ, there is nothing more that you can be or do to improve your relationship with God. So rest and walk in obedience to his glory. Amen. Lord, hear us as we want to be faithful where you have called. To not be anxious about changes that sometimes do happen. To not be anxious that we may never change. Our calling, our status, our physicality may never change, but you are with us because you have drawn near to us in Christ. Help us to walk in a way pleasing to you. In Christ's name, amen.